So, this morning, we are continuing our series, In the Shelter, by welcoming Eric and Ginny Becker from Sparrow Ministries. Um, they have been, uh, to give you just a tad bit of, of, of New Hope history, uh, Eric especially was, uh, was instrumental in the, in, the, in the faith development of our pastor emeritus, Jason Poling, um, and he's uh, been a friend of our congregation for years, uh, and uh, Ginny and I had an opportunity to be in a, a, a small group earlier this year before the world fell apart, um, and that <laughs> is one of the better parts of, of the year for me, um, and so we're just so excited uh, to have Eric and Ginny here. Uh, they are uh, the directors of Sparrow Ministries, which is an organization dedicated dedicated to strengthening marriages. Uh, so I still uh, would uh, please welcome wherever you are, Eric and Jenny Becker. Well, thank you very much for that warm welcome, and it is wonderful to be with you all here at New Hope. We have a great love relationship with you all and your leaders, and um, it's been many years of, uh, of connection and community, so we're, we're grateful to be here. Thank you for inviting us, Joe, and um, it's really good to worship with you this morning. So I'm, before we even start, I would also like to pray and ask for the Lord's hand of blessing on any words that we might have for you from him. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Um, thank you for Joe's poignant, appropriate words, Lord, to all of us to stay in the shelter. In these turbulent times, Lord, we need your shelter more than ever. And so, Lord, I ask that even now, you would keep us from distraction. You would keep us from the things that would want to take our mind and our heart away from the words that you might have for us this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would be our teacher, that anything that Eric and I have to share would be straight from your spirit, and that you would use it to transform us as you always do, Lord, when your word is spoken. So, Lord, would you speak through us? May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so I uh, will also just express my gratitude for being offered this uh, opportunity to share with you all at New Hope. Um, and I, I think, you know, last week, Joe made the statement that the theme of this uh, series uh, in the shelter comes from Psalm 91.1, and, and he said that living in the shelter of the Most High enables us to do hard, scary things. Now, Joe was already practicing that a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, when he invited us <laughs> to come and share this pulpit. That was, was a was hard and needed, scary Joe? thing for him to do. <laughs> or maybe it was because he knew we had had a hard and scary marriage. I, I don't know, Joe, but again, <laughs> in either case, thank you for this opportunity. And the truth is that in our 40 years, we have had some very hard things come at us and things that we did to make it hard, and some scary things that have happened in our marriage. But we wouldn't trade any of it at all over those 40 years. You know, and, and as we were thinking about our 
phrase, our, our passage, and what we wanted to say to you all today, there are really two perspectives that, uh, that come from the word shelter. We as a nation, as a world, have been experiencing shelter at home during these last months, seems like years, but that has been uh, a, a sort of a confinement, a rightful, needful confinement as a term of shelter. But I think our passage in the Old Testament and our passage from our God is that His shelter is an invitation that is our choice, and it's an invitation to feel safe and protected. And so um, it, with that perspective, it's, and it's not safety from necessarily, but safety through anything and everything that will come against us, both for our protection. So living in this positive view of shelter gives us the courage to do hard and scary things like get married. <laughs> so those of us who are married, and whether you've been married for two weeks or 40 years or longer, you know that marriage takes courage. Marriage actually starts with an act of courage. The wedding vows include words like this, forsaking all others, or till death parts us. You see, to say yes to one person, when I said yes to Eric, meant that I was saying no to every other person. Boy, okay. And that did take okay. a lot of courage oh, okay. on your part, right. I just have to say. All right. That was not in our notes. Um, but it's a courageous choice to say yes to one person. G.K. Chesterton, and I'm going to shout out to Jason Poling because he's the one who shared this story and quote with us many years ago. He wrote an essay entitled, In Defense G.K. Chesterton did, not Jason, just to be clear. Yeah, but Jason could have written it because he's super oh, smart. Oh, absolutely. But it's, he wrote an essay entitled, In Defense of Rash Vows. And in it, at the end of it, he's talking about the, this choosing to make a vow to another person, a promise, a commitment. And at the end, he says this little phrase. He says, and the reign of cowards is over. What he's speaking to is the courageous act of saying yes to a vow. So if you've made that vow, we salute you. You're courageous, but it doesn't end there. And if you're not married, our society, our culture might tell you that marriage is unnecessary, even kind of dumb. Why would you do that? But when and if your person comes along, we hope that you'll be courageous enough to also take that step of courage, to make that vow, to allow the reign of cowards in your life, your cowardice, to be over. C.S. Lewis puts these words in Aslan's mouth in Prince Caspian. You have listened to fears, child. Come, let me breathe on you. Forget them. Are you brave again? You see, when we are in the shelter of the Most High, we can be brave. We can do courageous things. We can not listen to fear. We can listen to bravery and courage and have the courage to do the scary, hard thing. 
So Ginny and I have this perspective, this view on marriage, that um, marriage has a soul. Now we all understand that the, the true essence of every one of us is our soul. It's the truest part of us. And we believe that when we make that vow to get married and to stay married and we enter into that covenant, God makes a brand new, unique creation out of the two of us as individuals. And that two becoming one is our soul. And we understand that soul to be sort of in this space that exists between the two of us. The soul of our marriage, the unique, personal, one-of-a-kind soul of our marriage is that space between us. Everything that we put into that space matters. And there's an energy force created as we put stuff in that soul, in that space between us, that either propels us toward each other or repels us away from each other. So we've seen this a little bit this year as we have sheltered in place together. And I would say the majority of it has been really good. But there came a point where we realized a couple of things that needed tending to. Some things were highlighted and revealed to us, as I'm sure in most couples have had some things revealed in this time of COVID shelter in place that we might not have seen otherwise because we have had no other distractions. And so it's the two of us, or if you're a family, it's your family, or some of you are by yourself and you've had to do some deep thinking and things have been revealed. You know, I, I've... Like, I like to say about that, that in our marriage, I've realized in, through this COVID time that I'm married every minute of every day. <laughs> and <laughs> there, you love it. And oh, you love I, it. I, absolutely. Oh, yes. I oh, love yeah. it. Oh, yeah, yeah, Be yeah. clear about that. But <laughs> it is an every moment realization. Yeah. And one of the things that we realized during this time was me, Ginny, as an extrovert, high extrovert, I enjoyed it for a time, and then I realized I was grieving the fact that I couldn't be with people. We couldn't be with our kids like we wanted to. We couldn't be with our life group like we wanted to. And Zoom was not cutting it for me. We were on Zoom all the time, and I just needed people around. Well, what happened then is I began to get irritable. And because I had this deep people need, I was starting to get irritable. And who would I be irritable with? the one I'm married to every minute of every day. And so the, the outcome of my irritability flowed out onto Eric, and I began to be critical, and I began to have my eyes focused on him instead of what the good that was actually happening around us. And I realized I needed to do some tending to. I needed to realize that I was putting things in the soul of our marriage that were not healthy. And likewise... Yeah, I, as an introvert, a very high introvert, I, I relished this sheltering in. I, I was born for this, you know. And, but in that, in that realization and in, that, in the practice of being alone, I realized, I came to realize slowly that I was actually with... Probably through my help. 
I'm sure you had oh, something sure to I do with you, yeah. that realization. <laughs> but I, I realized I was withdrawing from and withholding from Jenny the very thing that she needed, the very thing that would bring life to her, I was withholding because I was enjoying the, the, the alone time, even within our own home, so much that I, I was missing opportunities to bless her and to put things into the soul of our marriage that was needful. So the point is, how we treat the space between us is very important. Everything we put in matters. Everything is going to contribute to the health or the sickness of the soul of our marriage. So we're going to move now into talking about the how. It's one thing to talk about, boy, we, our marriage has a soul and we should care for it and we should put positive things in. What does that look like, Eric? How do we do that? What are some things that we can do? What are some things we can put into the soul of our marriage that would bring the health that we want? So we all know that a thriving marriage doesn't just happen because we love Jesus and we're in love with each other. So our marriage should be good and healthy and whole and wonderful and joyful. We know that's not true. There are, there are ways to ensure a healthy, thriving marriage, but it's not just because we love Jesus and love each other. We've seen too many marriages begin that way and have real struggles because they didn't con consider how to continue to make their marriages thrive. So we have another quote from C.S. Lewis that we would love to read that is really poignant about this whole idea about being in love, which is the explosion that starts a relationship and a marriage love affair, and the difference between being in love and this deeper kind of love that grows over time. So it goes like this. I'll read it once, and then I'm going to ask Eric to read it another time just so it can sink into your spirit. Love, as distinct from being in love, is a deep unity maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by the grace which both spouses ask for and receive from God. Yeah, we know that's a mouthful, and we've been chewing on this for years now. But let me read it again, as Jenny said. Love, as distinct from being in love, is a deep unity maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, which both spouses and the grace, reinforced by the grace, which both spouses ask for and receive from God. So it's interesting, C.S. Lewis is, uses this word, this phrase, deep unity right? We all want to be deeply unified with our spouse. Where does that deep unity come from? It comes from having a common vision. When we're unified, doesn't mean we agree on everything, but we have this, this thought-through vision. What do we actually want our marriage to be? And I would say that most of us don't ever talk about that. We just kind of allow marriage to carry us, and we get carried by it. And then we, all of a sudden, we're like, wait, who are we? Who are you? Who am I? Who are we and together? what just happened and, to us? And what happened to us, right? 
And so this whole idea of having this conversation with your spouse about what do you want it to be? And if you're not married, start thinking about what would you want your marriage to look like that's unique to the two of you. It's not like anybody else's marriage. It's not like the Polings or the Chastains or the Miller's marriage. It's not like somebody you read in a book. It is unique to the two of you. And that's why God brought you together to create that new entity called the soul of your marriage. It's unlike any other couple. And you have to decide what actually matters to you. And that comes from conversation. Because unless it deeply matters to you, and you're trying to copy someone else's picture of marriage, you will lose the energy because it's not what you want. So whatever you want is what matters when you're coming to unity. Yeah. And the foundation for the vision of every marriage comes from God's original design and intent for marriage from Genesis 1 and 2. And this, I want to make sure we all understand that this is before sin entered the world. God had a design for us in our marriage before sin entered the world. We often think about Genesis 3 on, and we kind of describe what marriage is in that light after sin entered, but that was not God's original intent. So, Eric, would you explain what God's original intent I'll, I'll was? take a crack at it. <laughs> And, and remember, the, we believe this is God's prescription. Genesis 3 is the description of what happens after sin messes things up. But his prescription, his original design and intent, was that marriage be a covenant relationship of mutually submitting and mutually empowering equals, brought together by God to make a difference in the world and bring more of God's kingdom to earth. A covenant relationship of mutually submitting one to another and mutually empowering one to another equals brought together by God to make a difference in the world and bring God's kingdom to earth. And as Christ's followers who are living in the shelter of God's love, which we've been talking about, we are enabled to see this vision become reality as we love each other with the life-giving brand of love that Jesus modeled. And so we want to move into a little bit of New Testament teaching about what this love looks like. We like how Paul described this kind of love in Colossians 3, 12 to 15. Now, you might say, I've never heard that. He wasn't writing to married couples in Colossians. He was writing to a church, and that's right. He was writing to brothers and sisters in Christ. But I would argue, we would argue, that if it's true for brothers and sisters in Christ, how much more true should it be of husbands and wives in Christ? So I want you to listen to these words that Paul writes about Jesus' kind of love to this church in Colossae. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's living under the shelter, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have, has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. I like to say that you, it's really hard to be angry at someone for whom you're thankful. Bitterness and anger and gratitude cannot coexist. Gratitude is a great antidote for bitterness and anger. So that's why I think Paul goes on, even in this passage, two more times to talk about gratitude and thankfulness. So with this passage in mind, we're going to continue to move through the C.S. Lewis quote. So this talks about dearly loved people. So first of all, we have to know that we're dearly loved. That's part of living under the shelter. When we're living under the shelter and there's a shadow of his love, we actually get more and more in touch with how beloved we are by God. But it comes from putting ourselves under that shelter. So the putting on part, I love to talk about this because this goes right along with what C.S. Lewis said, right? He says, maintained by the will. That doesn't sound that sexy, but it is because it's getting us to a place of thriving in our marriage because it takes intentionality, daily intentionality. Just like Paul said, put on, put on your clothes, clothe yourselves with. And that's a daily activity that we do, right? We put on our clothes every day. Well, sweatpants at least, or <laughs> pajama pants. We both said this morning, wow, it feels weird to be in real clothes this morning. But we are putting on this. It's a daily intentionality. And you know, part of that intentionality is taking a really good, hard look at what actually is in the space between you. Like, we needed to do that. We have to do that periodically. In 40 years, we've had to do that a lot. But you're looking what is there that's healthy and what isn't there that's actually hurting your marriage. We need to be honest about it in authentic, honest safety. And you know what? Sometimes we've got to get help and coaching for that. But then comes the commitment to transform that thing into the health that we both desire. But it takes the daily intentionality of saying, I'm going to put on these things. You know, early on in our marriage, something happened that um, forced us to look at what was actually going on between us, something, what, what was going on in our marriage that brought us to this place. And we realized that we were both trying to live up to an ideal, an image, someone else's marriage, perhaps. <laughs> and uh, we didn't feel safe just to be ourselves. You know, I think sometimes this happens that we put things as the ideal. We look at the ideal and say, well, if I'm not that, then I must be failing. Instead of bringing our full, broken selves to one another and to God and saying, yeah, I'm broken. But we, what we know about brokenness is undealt with brokenness in our lives tends to break relationships. And so our heart for you is that you would take a deep look at your own brokenness in humility to be able to say, what is going on in me? And what am I contributing to either the health or unhealth of our, the soul of our marriage? So that, that's something that happened that 
caused us early on in our marriage, and as Jenny has suggested, there have been others afterwards, but that first something that happened, we don't really have the time to go into here, but we're happy to share the details with you if you want to know. Um, it's not a secret, um, but we just don't have time today. I'll just give you a hint, though. It has to do with French fries. And I would say French fries saved our marriage. That's a little tease, and maybe we'll write the story and give it to you so you can write it out. So, you know, one of the things that we know is um, that in looking at some of these things that, are, um, that we need to actually say goodbye to in our marriage, you know, we're, we were all so thankful to say goodbye to 2020, and uh, 2021 has proven to have its own challenges, right? But um, one of the things that we think is a really great practice, and we would encourage you to do it, um, our son-in-law and daughter have some friends that on Christmas, I mean, on, sorry, on New Year's Day, they come over and they have a bonfire or a fire pit, and they actually this year wrote down the things that they wanted to let go of in 2020. Now, they, it, was, it was all the things that they were holding on to from 2020 that were causing stress and anxiety and fear and things in their marriages that they wanted to start saying no to that they had been, had been revealed during this COVID time. And they wrote them out on a piece of paper, and they actually had a ceremony where they burned those things. And then they prayed a prayer of blessing over this new year. Lord, would you help us to be the kind of husband and wife that you have intended for us to be. And so it was, it's a powerful picture, and I would encourage you to do that, maybe with a group of friends or a, a safe counselor or a, a group, even together, just together in authenticity and humility to be able to say, you know, I actually want to stop being irritable with you. I hope you do. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to stop withholding from you. Perfect. So the next phrase here that we love is, is it, well, this whole idea of maintaining by the will, you know, is this everyday question of, and here's a question that if we woke up every single day asking this question, what does love look like today for my spouse? We should ask it no matter who we're with. What does love look like here? But what does love look like for Eric today? we'd probably all have a really good marriage because we'd be intentionally working toward that. So as we continue in our C.S. Lewis quote, we come to that phrase, deliberately strengthened by habit. And here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where the how is asked and answered. In Colossians 3, Paul lists some healthy habits that can create positive, healthy energy for the soul of our marriage. And I, as Jenny reads these again, I want to ask, who wouldn't want these things to be true of the environment in our marriage and in our home? So the first word Paul uses is compassion. I would say one of the things that has been really hard for couples this year is having empathy and compassion for what the other person is going through. Because we've all been... Um, we've, we've all responded to this COVID situation in different ways. And sometimes it's hard to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. And we would say, put yourself in their shoes even when they don't fit. So compassion is a really important part of a, of a healthy, good marriage. 
uh, Paul goes on to add kindness to the mix. Kindness. I mean, sometimes, honestly, we're more kind to strangers than we are to each other. We're so focused on being kind to other people and we lose the sense or we take for granted or for whatever reasons, we stop being kind to each other. The next word he uses is humility. Humility is, we, we have this phrase that we believe that we say, with humility and forgiveness, almost any marriage issue can be healed. But it takes humility, me looking at my stuff, Eric looking at his stuff, and then the willingness to say, this is who I am, and I need to be transformed into Christ-like love. And so will you please forgive me for whatever that thing is? Because we are all broken, and we can admit to that. The next phrase or the next word is gentleness. You know, I, I think sometimes we can get so wrapped up, so married to not our spouse, but our own ideas. And we want to win every argument. And we want to be right all the time. And we're not so gentle in our expression of those things. Our voices raise, our faces get angry, and we are bent on making our point win the day. Gentleness can say, I might be wrong. I want to know what you think. I want to hear why you think that way. In a gentle way, not an antagonistic polarizing, I want to be right, and therefore you have to be wrong. The next word is patience. Um, you know, we all need help with patience, but I think this has to do a lot with, I am going to be patient with your journey, and you're going to be patient with my journey. And our journeys may look different. Even our spiritual journeys may look different. The way you connect with God, Eric, is going to be different maybe than the way I connect with God. And I shouldn't make yours look like mine or mine look like yours. But we're going to be patient with each other's journeys and patient with each other's brokenness, asking God to keep us on the journey of Christ-like love, and then we can cheerlead each other as we grow toward that. Hmm. Paul goes on to write, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against the other. Bearing with is, is sort of like, is this worth arguing about? Is this something to really focus on? Sometimes we can make mountains out of molehills and we want to argue. So, so sometimes we bear with and then when we can't bear with anymore, we talk about it, and then we ask for and receive forgiveness for the things that are tempting to break our unity. Um, so bear with and forgive one another. So then, of course, Paul goes on to talk about over all these virtues put on love, and this kind of love is beyond our ability. It is beyond our ability. It is about when we are living in this shelter, when we are abiding in the vine, then the vine dresser helps us know how to love. He actually makes us loving people, not just people who love, but he changes and transforms that in us to be the spouse 
that we even want to be in a loving way. So then Paul goes on to talk about the fact that thanks, Eric already talked about gratitude, how important gratitude is. You know, we, um, <laughs> we believe that you don't get any credit for unexpressed gratitude. You only get credit for gratitude that's expressed. And so it, it, it's easy to lose the habit of gratitude with our spouse. Taking for granted. Thank yous and will you please, you know? Just manners that we even teach our children, right? We forget to use those same manners with one another. So gratitude is a huge part of something to put in the soul of your marriage that can actually change the environment in your whole home, not just in your marriage. So, So, you know, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. I stepped on yours. Oh, you did? Mm -hmm. Okay. I forgive you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) We all know or have heard at a wedding this, the passage in 1 Corinthians 13 as the love chapter, right? And it's often read at weddings, which it's a beautiful passage, but I think sometimes it can, because we know it so well, it becomes wallpaper. So every once in a while, Eric and I will read it in a different translation to get a different nuance. And we love what the Passion Translation says when it says always protects. The NIV says all, love always protects. The Passion translates it as creates a safe place of shelter. Like how beautiful is that? I want to be the person that is creating a safe place of shelter for Eric. A place where he feels safe to be himself, to fail and still be loved, to be cheer-led along his journey and his passions and desires and gifts and talents. I want to be that safe place of shelter. And I certainly want to be that for Jenny as well. So strengthening these habits of love creates that safe place for us to thrive, and it gives us the courage to do marriage the way God intends and that we actually desire. And when we stood at the altar when we got married, those were the visions that we had, right? But then along the way, life takes over. Things enter in that want to break that cycle and energy in our marriage. And so it's up to us. It's the only thing that we can control is that what we put into our marriage. But it can always be rebuilt. Like we can always look and say, yep, that's where we are. That's where we are. I need the courage to say that's where we actually are. And then what are we going to do about it? How are we going to get the help we need to move through this and And, get healthy again? Notice what Jenny said. She said, how are we? I recognize a problem, but how are we going? Well, truth be told, Ginny often is the one to recognize the problem. And then we say, we, how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to handle it? What are we going to do? Because the truth is, one person is often the one to recognize when there's a need to change. And, but if that person says there's an issue, The other person cannot say, no, there isn't. We have a fine marriage. The one who says there's an issue, the other person needs to submit under that and say, all right, you think there's an issue, so there must be. That's where respect and honoring the other comes in. Um, So so. let's let's land the plane. Let's land the plane. Go ahead. Okay. So we know we're dearly loved. We know we're dearly loved. We've been invited to live under the shelter of God Almighty. 
and to allow his shadow to just flow out, right? As we abide in that shelter, as we do love, because it is a verb after all. Love is not a noun, it is a verb. Well, it's not only a noun, but it is a verb, and it's manifested as a verb. And as we do love with each other, we will become a lighthouse to our children, to our neighbors, and to a watching world that needs desperately to see authentic love lived out in a family. So I, I loved that we sang, and we didn't know this, we loved that we sang the song in the lighthouse earlier this morning. And God in that song, God is the lighthouse. But Jesus, when he ascended into heaven after giving us the Great Commission, he said, in a sense, you are now to be lighthouses. Let your light shine. So as a lighthouse. And New Hope, we pray, and we will continue to pray, that the marriages and families of your community will be those lighthouses in this community and wherever you live. So be intentional. Make a commitment to say, from now on, we are going to start putting into the soul of our marriage those things that are going to help us thrive and be the marriage that God intends. So I'd love to pray a prayer of blessing over all of you as we close. Heavenly Father, our lover, the one in whose shelter we feel safe and secure, and we have courage, I pray, Father, that you would bless every person who is already in the community of New Hope and those who are on the fringes, who are looking and watching and considering you and joining and connecting with a church. I pray, Father, that New Hope community would, be, would become the lighthouse in Catonsville, a lighthouse among many in Catonsville, and that your love would shine brightly through them to their world, to their community. Lord, I ask this, I pray this, and I plead this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.